All right, 2 Timothy. Today's going to be a little bit different. Um, you have your papers in front of you. I know they're very cryptic because they're just three numbers. And what do you do with that? We're going to read the book of 2 Timothy together. So we're going to read this whole thing. And as we go through it, we're going to uh, just listen to the words and read along with me, if you will. And take a couple notes, if you'd like, on your paper. The book is not super long. It's only a couple chapters, but it's going to take a minute to go through it. So as we get halfway through, don't let yourself mentally check out. Stay, stay reading, stay focused, stay in it. Um, Ian, if you want to go play the games with the kids, you're welcome, by the way. If you want to stay, I would love for you to stay. I hope that was okay, Mom and Dad. <laughs> He's ready. <laughs> okay. Whew, thought I was a better preacher than that, but that's fine. It's okay. It's going to be, he ran out of here fast. All right. Okay, 2 Timothy. This book, uh, we're going to take a moment to read through it. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was the guy who used to be named Saul, and the Lord saved him. He was persecuting the church, and the Lord uh, arrested him, revealed himself to him, called him to be an apostle. That's a leader over all the work that's happening to demonstrate and explain and preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and help build the fledgling church. So when I say fledgling church, Jesus has... Uh, has lived perfect life on earth. He died. He rose again. Everybody's shocked and in awe. And then he stays with the people for a while and goes to heaven. Where is he now? Right. Seated at the right hand of God, which is significant because he's, he took on flesh. He never took it off. So he's one of us, but he's God. He's fully God and fully man. And that's a mystery but that's important for us because it means that we have a family member, an older brother, the Bible says, a husband, the Bible says, who redeemed us and who brought us with him into his kingdom. And so when we come before God and the throne of God and the judgment seat of God, if you are in Christ and belong to him, and we know that through the fruit of repentance, by faith, we know that because the Lord saves us and he changes us. Our lives are different. We're new creations in Christ. If we come in the identity of Christ and say, Lord, it's because of you and your work and your death and your resurrection, that's my only merit, nothing of myself, then that's salvation. And that's coming before God. And so Jesus, though, on, in a practical way on earth, he went back to heaven. He's seated on the throne. He's ruling and reigning. The Bible says that the earth is a footstool for him. And he's actively leading the church. And so he sent his spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the Trinity, I, how do you explain that? The Lord is three in one. I don't know. But he sent his spirit to us. Fills the church. Peter stands up, this apostle, proclaims a message of Jesus and what he's done. And people are falling all over themselves. They're crying out to the apostles, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent, be baptized, believe in Jesus. And in one day, in one sermon, 3,000 guys are saved. More than that, let's say 6,000 people, men and women together, are added to the church. And then every day growing, every day growing, every day growing, as people are hearing this good news of Jesus. What is the good news? You are saved from the wrath of God. Before our relationship with God was broken because of sin and disobedience, because of Christ, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, he's brought us to himself to make us his own. It's, kind of, it's honestly the classic story of the knight going to the, the big tower and fighting the dragon to save the, the princess. In this case, 
The, the reason that that story has a pull on our hearts is because the prince of the world, the prince of peace, God himself, became a man on our behalf and endured death, the punishment for sin for us, defeating sin and death, rising victorious. He claims his bride, the church, his people, that he has saved. The Bible says that that's a free gift from God by grace, not of ourselves. This grace of God comes, it's unmerited favor. It's incredible, isn't it? And so now, the, the people in the audience, they're hearing for the first time, you've lived your whole life trying to get right before God, and you can never get there. It's like having a million dollars on a credit card. And you're paying the minimum payments, but man, it just never actually eats away at any debt. Every month you pay the payments, and yet there's more money added against you all the time. Well, what can you do? Well, one with perfect righteousness, with perfect credit came, paid the penalty for us, and then put you on his account. That now your credit, it looks righteous before God. How amazing. That's good news. That's good news when you're striving and trying all the time. Also living, not sure. Is God going to love me today, kill me today, hate me today? What's going to happen? Now in Christ, you're his, captured, you're his bride and he saved you, and you belong to him, and what good news. What a relief. That's relief. Man, praise the Lord. Okay, so 2 Timothy. Paul, the apostle, writing to his son, Timothy, is a son in the faith, not in real life. And uh, Timothy is leading churches, particularly in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, and he is um, installing elders and leading the church. And so with all that explosive growth that I just mentioned, now the church is trying to figure out how do we actually do stuff? What does that mean? And so Timothy has been sent by Paul, establish the work so that they, everyone knows what to do and it's orderly and there's worship and people aren't just doing crazy things and let's make sure they're coming to the word of God so people actually grow, right? Have you ever had to try to have a political discussion with somebody whose entire information is through Facebook? We all have, or social media in general. Every one of us have. How's that discussion go? Poorly, unless you can go to the source, right? So now here's people hearing about the kingdom of God, the perfect politics of God's kingdom established, and all their information is hearsay unless they come to the source. And Timothy is coming in to establish the work and say, this is how we live. This is what the word says. This is how we build our lives upon God's counsel. So here's the book. Let's read it together. We're going to start 1-1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of, of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells on you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because, he, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus 
before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Paul is writing this from jail. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia Minor turned away from me. Among them are Philagius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Oniferous, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when we arrived in Rome, he searched diligently for me, earnestly, and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well the service that he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that to faithful men who are able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid an, an irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymanidis and Philetis. I bitcher those, that's okay who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the, Lord, the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and that they may escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, 
abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so those men opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. They will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, who, you however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and my sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to, Demel, uh, to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me for ministry. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds." Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me. He strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, and that they might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Oniferus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left uh, Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Abelus sends you greetings, as do Pudus and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Praise the Lord for his word.
Okay, how'd you do? Check out, do okay? I'm not gonna lie, it was long for me. Okay, number one. Question number one. This is just for you, by the way, not for anybody else. If you'd like a paper that are right up here. Jim, can I call on you to help me? Just make sure everybody's got one. Thanks. This is your, you're not gonna turn these in, this is just for you to keep. Question number one, is this the most time you've spent in scripture this week? Is this the most time you've spent in scripture this week? Question number two. As we're reading this, what things burned in your heart? Now, I'm not asking you this. This is a different question than this. A lot of people ask this question. What did this mean to you? I'm not asking you that question. As you heard and read this with me, were there any lines, were there any things, were there any concepts, were there any moments that burned inside you that was important to you, that you felt like this is something I need to have in my head, in my heart right now? One of those things that maybe tonight after dinner is going to come back to you. You know those kind of things? You start thinking about them as you're going to bed. That kind of stuff. Is there anything that burned inside you? Why did we read this entire book? You know, I've never done that before in church. I've never read an entire book like this. Usually, at the most, I'll do one chapter because, quite honestly, people check out. Um, and the reality is you got about 34 seconds. With kids, you've got about four seconds. Just being honest. you got four seconds to capture their attention, to keep them going. If it doesn't change rapidly, uh, things go away because everybody's used to YouTube videos. And they're short now, aren't they? Yeah, three-minute video, and they keep scrolling. You know how they just autoplay forever? That happens all the time. It makes people's attention spans less and less and less and less. Uh, my dad was in was in China, not, uh, well, a long time ago now, in the 90s. And uh, in China, you're not allowed to own a Bible. And so they were in the middle of a meeting, and my dad had come from the States and a bunch of other brothers. And so there was a guy from Norway there. There was a Bible teacher from England there. There's a Welsh guy there. There's all these people. My dad was the American representative, and it's you know important. And they're being shuffled around. Uh, they were far deep uh, into rural areas. And so they were meeting under trees and meeting in barns and meeting in the middle of the night and um, hiding, basically, as they went. And so my dad, who's built kind of like me, was wearing a Chinese um, army officer's coat that was like six sizes too small. Just went, er, it was it. Just, but from the truck, it looked like you know, somebody was there, like, get, get low, get low. Hilarious. Anyway, they're in this meeting. And they're uh, worshiping the Lord a little bit. And it comes time for the, the preaching. And uh, the meetings would last eight hours. And so they just, because everybody's hiding, so they come, and they listen and listen and listen, and then they go. And so they're in the middle of starting, and, and um, the Welsh guy stands up to start to preach, and this little lady stands up in the back and just starts talking, and everyone stops in reverence and just listens, and it goes on for a long time. And so my dad's, classic American, is like, what's going on here? Like, where are the teachers that came in to do this stuff? What's happening? You know, who's this little old lady? So he asked one of the translators, uh, he said, what's, what's happening right now? And he said, oh, that's John. And he said, okay. 
He said, no, no, we can't have Bibles. So she is the book of John. She's memorized the Gospel of John. She's reciting it all for us that we all might hear the Word of God. And so she was held in reverence as the book of John that every time she came to a meeting, she would just say the Word. And the people fell silent because this is the moment that they can hear the life of the Scripture coming out because they cannot go home and read their own Bible. They cannot get online and get to it. They cannot read it for themselves. And so now it's being recited. And the awe of that moment is important for us. And to be honest with you, in America, we got two seconds to capture people's attention. I felt like as I was preparing today, I had six sermons in my head about what to do. And we've been in 2 Timothy for a long time. We've been talking about chapter 4 here where Peter tells Timothy that people are going to have itching ears in the future and find teachers for themselves to to suit all their own passions. They won't want the truth anymore. And the resounding thing I could feel in the Lord is we just need the truth. So I just wanted to read the whole book for us because as we read this letter that God gave us, and it talks about a cloak. Bring me my cloak before winter, please. I mean, there's little things in there, but as we read it, the Holy Spirit inspired all these little moments and and things inside this letter that communicate to us God's grace, even about the cloak. Because we start to think of Paul as this guy who's larger than life and can do things that none of us could ever do. And really, he's a guy in jail who's really concerned about the winter's coming, it's going to be cold, I need that cloak. It's just, here's a guy who's being used by God to do great things, and he's still just a guy. And that gives me hope as I read this, because I can see God using people to use us that we might proclaim his word in the earth. The word is powerful and effective. It's not just a guy named Paul or a preacher or somebody with whatever name or it doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter. The word of God, powerful and effective. So I wanted to read this whole book for us to let our hearts just align with what God is saying for a moment. Because especially as we hear it, something happens to us where suddenly our priorities shift, don't they? I have found that I can come Concerned about bills. Listen, I'm concerned about bills. You know we support like 60 pastors, something like that, this church? So, I don't know, maybe not that many. Realistically, 24? I don't know, a lot. Two different schools to train elders? I, we've got a lot going on. And those are just these bills. i got bills at home, right? You ever forgot to pay the electric bill? You get that pink letter? I thought it was on auto pay. What happened? Or they changed the thing? They're like, you're 32 cents over. Oh, gosh, it's the, the pink letter, man. That's scary. Especially if your wife sees it. She's like, did you not pay the bill? Ooh, I, what? I, auto pay. I don't know. Listen, we all have those things. All of us do. Then we come to the word of God. Something else solidifies in our hearts. So what burned within you? What were the things maybe that started to jump out of the page at you? Is anybody bold enough to share that answer with us? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. There was a lot of that stay out of worldly nonsense. You know, there's a lot of nonsense in the world. Amen. That's good. Anybody else? I'm not going to have a wrong answer. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yeah, that's right. You know, one of the things that I, um, I miss about being in the Army was the urgency of it. Everything was urgent. Have you ever heard that phrase, hurry up and wait? We did that a lot. Everything's hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. But it's, there's an urgency about being on time. There's an urgency about everything. There's an urgency about making sure your, your pants are buttoned up right, you know, so you don't lose stuff. There's an urgency about wearing your hat if you're outside. There's an urgency about everything. But there's a reason for that because that urgency gets put into practice when you really need it. And I found in the civilian world that urgency is not, not around. You know, especially, and I'm not against anyone or any people group or anything, but especially in our culture today, I, you know, go to any fast food restaurant and watch the work ethic of people. They don't care. There's, you know, every once in a while you find somebody who hustles and you're like, wow, I mean, that's stained out. Did you know that the common denominator of our culture has now fallen to such a degree that actually just doing regular work looks like excellence? Just showing up on time, just not being high on drugs, just smelling like you showered, just having workers in the restaurant, I mean, that's, this is a different thing, right? And again, I'm not, I love the United States. I love, hey, happy fourth, by the way, praise God. Really, I mean, I genuinely am, but I'm also saying, let's open our eyes to see the difference between what Paul is talking about. How many of us wake up in the morning urgent about coming to church? Urgent about getting together? Urgent about the word of God? Urgent about what is the Lord doing in his kingdom today? Urgent about, I, I am gonna be used by God to do something for him. Urgent about, I need to be around God's people. Urgent about praying for others. Urgent about the Lord's mission on the earth. Urgent about what he is thinking and feeling about all these things. And then what do I say and what do I do? And we get lost in these other discussions about things that don't matter. And that's what Paul is saying. Stay away from that stuff. Doesn't, it doesn't matter, but you can feel the urgency of the mission of God. Especially because Paul is not going to make it out of this one. He's in jail. Can you feel? that he, he told him, I've finished. I've run the race. Bring the cloak to me before winter. It's, I'm not going to have much more time. This is, this is life now. And he will. He'll be, he'll be martyred before very long. Anybody else? Things that stood out to you? Was anybody surprised by anything? Yeah. He's mad at some guys. He really does. Yeah. And people that did him harm. You know, we get this idea sometimes that the early church was, man, it was perfect. We could just be like that. If we could just be back in there, it would be awesome. And in some ways, it would, wouldn't it? But man, he's got, and these guys hurt him. You know what he says? We read it in chapter 3. When I went to my court appearance, no one stood with me. No one. You know, this guy is leading all the churches on a continent. On a continent. And not one person comes to his aid. That stinks. You think you know somebody. 
if you've lived and you've suffered. And, you know, the suffering is in there a lot, isn't it? What, you know, that's one thing that I saw, too, is I get this impression from Paul to Timothy of not fatalistic. Like, ah, it's just going to happen, so don't worry about it. But this idea of the suffering for the gospel, it's just the path that we're going to be on because the Lord suffered for us. So we're going to follow his, his example. We're going to follow him. It's just going to be this way. So as you live life and as you do ministry, it's going to happen. So walk firm. And that urgency comes out, doesn't it? It's not fatalistic. It's also not running from the suffering. He has zero notes in here about how to avoid having people lose, be lost. No, no word in here talks at all about how to not lose people from the church. In fact, what he says is, hey, Timothy, when you go to jail, be prepared. Like me, probably no one will show up. It's going to be rough. Bring the cloak. I need the cloak. Why doesn't anybody, there's a, he's in Rome. There's a church in Rome. Peter is in Rome. Nobody's bringing him a cloak. He needs this guy to come from Ephesus across the Mediterranean. This, this is like, hey, I know you're in Canada right now. I know it's hot up there. I really just need a parka. Can you bring one to me? It's far. Help me out. Nobody can help. This is, that's a, a, a disheartening thing, honestly. But what's Paul's response to that? It's not, oh, don't worry about it. It's not, oh, just give in to the depression. It's not, well, this is just how it is. It's the urgency of the gospel. Everyone left me, but the Lord stood by me. And so I'm telling you, stand firm. He will stand by you. So now when you are in the thick of it, Timothy, my son, you stand firm with Jesus. If you could only say one thing to your kids, to your friends, to the people around you, one last message, more than just I love you. You know, God forbid you're on a plane and it's crashing. You can get one message out. More than I love you. Because that's what everybody would say, right? What would you say? This is question number three. What would you say if this is your last letter to send to your son, to your daughter, to your friend, to your mom, to your dad, to your loved one? What would you say if you could boil it down to one thing? Follow Jesus. That's good. What does Paul say? I'll give you, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Write down, what would you say? doesn't have to be a letter long. Just one, if you can say one thing. Like Karen said, follow Jesus. He's your only hope. <clears throat> That's a big question. What, what does Paul tell Timothy, the one big thing he says? Yeah, don't be ashamed. Yeah, that comes back over and over. There's like, I mean, he got a whole letter in. So there's, I would say there's like five or six answers in there that are correct. That's one of them. He comes back a lot to the shame thing, doesn't he? Like four, three or four times it comes back. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of your faith. Don't be ashamed of your heritage. Don't be ashamed of him. That's one thing that I saw many times. I know in whom I have believed. 
This is in verse, chapter 1, verse 12. Verse 11, he says this. Uh, let's start at verse... This is a long verse. So let's start at verse 10. Now this has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard me until that day that has been entrusted to me. Phil, can you jab him? Can you jab Michael for me? Thanks. So here's, here's this idea of not being ashamed. He's not ashamed, but he's not ashamed of just the gospel. Who, what, what's his hope rest in? In Christ himself, right? You know, I think the church has wandered from this truth. It's, the gospel is not just about salvation. We've made so much stuff about just getting saved, we've almost taken Jesus out of the equation sometimes. And I'm talking about a lot of stuff you hear on the radio or see on television. Is because the gospel is about Jesus Christ, him crucified, him rose, raised to life again, him ruling and reigning now. Our hope is in him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is our everything. And instead, we make that about, if you just follow him, you'll get blessing. And it's about blessing. And it's about life. And it's about salvation. And it's about you. It all comes about you. And this is what Peter, Paul says here. Is he says, there's coming a day when people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And the church, the true church, are lovers of God. And that's one of the things you can feel Paul impressing on Timothy. Remember Jesus. He even says in chapter 3, remember Jesus Christ, son of David, whom I proclaimed. What a weird thing to say to a pastor who you've appointed over a bunch of churches. If you've got to tell the pastor over the whole work in an entire country to remember Jesus... It's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? But it's, it's, he's everything. It's Christ. He's everything. It's not the message. It's not the work. It's him. He's everything. Did you know that our job as God's people is not to save people? The Bible tells us, Jesus said it this way, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. How can you save anybody? How can you change their heart? How can you know their secrets? It's not to save people. The mission of the church is to bring people to the Savior. Go disciple them. This is what the Word of God says. This is His character. This is how we live. Have you met Jesus? Here He is. And so now sheep in His flock. We are all sheep in His flock, right? Bring people to the shepherd. There's a lot of sheep trying to do triage on other sheep. And the blind end up leading the blind into weird stuff. Instead, our job is, come with me. Let me I'm going to introduce you to him. He'll help you. I'm just going to walk with him. So you should walk with me too. Here we go. And then now we see God moving in power because he's, he's doing what he's promised. He told us we have, many, uh, we have a great harvest and that he has many workers that he would send into the field, that we should, we should pray to him to send us into the field, that we could do his harvest for him. But somehow we've gotten twisted around, made everything about pleasure and about comfort and about convenience and about peace. And, and you know what? Those things are all good. Praise the Lord. And he does make things better in life. But if we make our whole gospel about just being healed, 
we're missing the whole point because he's the healer. He's the one. Plus, all that suffering that Paul talks about, God doesn't always just show up and just make everything right. I wish he would sometimes, but he doesn't. Why not? I don't know. Because we're his and he's training us to do great things. He's using us for all the things that he's called to us. He's using us for his own glory. And it's a bigger calling than just being happy. You know, that's what, honestly, that's what the devil says. Just do this. You'll be happy. That's what you really want. Boy, we love pleasure, don't we? Have you ever been in a McDonald's that takes more than 32 seconds to give you your fries? It's like, what is happening here? This is your whole business, and you're angry with them because their shake machine is still broken? How is this possible? You are a big company. Fix it. What, what are we angry about? We love convenience, don't we? Well, I have a new donut. Listen, I shouldn't, but I have a new donut place next to my house. It has a drive-through. And my wife prefers uh, different places donuts than the other one. We like donuts. Probably I should stop eating them. But, man, the drive-through, that thing is amazing. You can drive through with all the kids in the car and not get out. They should. They should have one of like the bank. Thump, and it comes. It'd be great. Right in your mouth. You just open and it just shoots in there. It's great. Yeah, donut holes. There you go. Yeah, but we love that stuff, don't we? And then we expect God to be that way. Lord, here, I'm in the drive-thru. What are you doing? This is your whole business. This is your kingdom. Make it better. What are you doing? Then we read 2 Timothy, and our hearts are burning about the things of God that are different than just our happiness. Isn't it funny how when you have a real mission, you have an urgency about life, suddenly the hurting stops. What I mean by that is this. Have you ever run a long way? Like you're running the mile in school, or you're running a marathon or half marathon? Man, it's hard. It's not easy, it's not good. Some of us think back to those high school days or junior high, running the, running the mile. I remember one time I had to run the mile and my gym class was right after lunch. And so they wanted us to run the mile before lunch, but I didn't get that memo. So man, I had the, the it was that weird rectangle pizza. Yeah, that greasy grossness about halfway through the mile, not great. So then, then I understood, like, oh, this is why they wanted us to do that. But I was in seventh grade, so who knows? You don't know what's going on. But sometimes in life you're going, when there's a real mission ahead of you, when there's a goal ahead of you, you can, even physically, your body starts to change with you to do what you need to do to get it done. Because there's a goal. If you don't have a goal, if you're just out for a jog and you're having a great time and it's no big deal, the hurting starts and you're done. You're just done. Why, why would I endure all this? I don't want to do this anymore. And we all know that because half of Americans have gym memberships they never use. You don't go because it's inconvenient. You just want the, the idea of like, oh, I could be healthy someday. But when there's a goal, when you're doing something, when you're part of a team, when you're moving forward and people depend on you and you have an object that you're running toward, and this is what Paul is telling Timothy is as a good soldier, do what God has told you to do. And stop worrying about your reputation because it's going to be slandered. And stop worrying about your success because I'm telling you, everybody left me. 
and stop worrying about your happiness because people are going to love their happiness more than they love God. And so instead, you love God more than you love everything. You give him everything. You step by step, everywhere you go, fix your eyes on Jesus, that him, the author and perfecter of your faith, you know that you are leading your life toward him and that you love him and you're oriented toward him. And if you do that, you, my son, will be in this middle of the heritage that God has for you. Even if it leads to your death. That's, you feel that in the, in the letter? It's there, isn't it? Just follow Jesus. Remember him. This is the gospel. This is what you should do. And I'm telling you this today because as we're coming to the word of God and we're letting the word transform our heart, the things that are burning in your heart, stop avoiding them. Because what happens is we read the word and it burns in us. There's this thing and the Holy Spirit saying, this is what I want you to get. I want you to change this way to look more like Jesus. I want you to do this. Have you ever read the word and a person keeps popping in your head and they're popping in your head, popping in your head, and you're like, I'll pray for them tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and you're too busy praying about bills. Instead of the Holy Spirit saying, pray for that. Join me in the mission. Here we go. We're going. Because the word is powerful, it's effective, it's reproving us, it's teaching us, it's training us to be more like Jesus. And all the things he cares about starts coming through our heart as we read the word, because that's what God does with the word. It's his own character that comes up against our values. And where our values are different than the Bible, the Bible overwhelms us to look more like Jesus. But that what happens is we tend to just push that to the side. And it's more important for us to catch up on the show we've been watching or whatever instead of actually dive into what God has. And the message that we have from 2 Timothy is don't stop. Be urgent in your faith. Be urgent into where God's called you because he's called us to something greater and better than just mundane life or just happiness. And happiness is good. But man, there's something about being in the middle of where God's put us doing something for Jesus that you feel a joy like you've never felt because we're actually serving him like we were designed to do instead of twisting it on its head and expecting God to serve us like people tell us is supposed to happen. Second Timothy. People with itching ears will find teachers to teach them anything according to their passions. I came up with like six things from this book that the church needs to be convinced of now. We talked about the kingdom of God, about Jesus Christ himself. He's the king of the kingdom. Really, that's two. Jesus, who he is, he is God. Not just a good teacher. He's the judge of the earth. He's the savior of the earth. He's the king of all kings. He's the prince of peace. Through him, we have life in God. Through him, we have peace with God. There is no substitute for Jesus. And we cannot lessen him to make him just a nice guy or just so benevolent that he has no rule. That's the first thing. Second thing, he is the king of the kingdom and the kingdom is over all things. He is the king of the kingdom. The kingdom is over all things. When we get up in the morning, we don't get up as Americans. We get up as kingdom subjects under Jesus Christ who live in America. And then we're great citizens because God's put us in America. But if we lived in Zimbabwe, I would say then we're great Zimbabweans because God's put us in Zimbabwe. Sometimes I feel like we struggle to find God's will in our life so much, wandering around to try to figure out where God's put us instead of just being where we're planted. 
and growing where he's put us and saying, Lord, I trust you that you weren't wrong when you put me here first. Be where God's planted you because his kingdom is bigger than the whole earth. But that's a mindset of following the kingdom. So first thing, Jesus Christ, let's be clear about who he is. Second thing, he's the king of the kingdom. We need to be clear about the kingdom. Third thing is God has formed a church for us. And in his church, he's put importance, urgency to do his mission. Because here we are better together than we are apart. The Lord has made us to grow together that we might honor and build up each other to do the works of ministry, to proclaim his excellencies, to glorify him in all things. We need to be clear about the church because the church today has become a gym membership. Where I get certain benefits, but if I don't like it, I can always go to the other one down the street. Instead of a place where we are standing together, seeing the king in his kingdom, and building something for God. The next thing is we are really building something for God. We're building up the church. We're proclaiming his word. There is one gospel, and it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again. There is no other means by which we are saved except for the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. If we try to supplement anything else, or the gospel plus, so it's the gospel saves you, but also it's the gospel plus a good attitude. It's a gospel plus, you know, like helping others, which, you know, good attitude and helping others just come from being a transformed gospel person. But if we try to add these things to make favor with God, then we're missing out on who he is. There is only one person who has ever actually obeyed God and warranted God's love and grace. It's Jesus Christ. If you're in him, then you as his child receive also the benefits of his righteousness and his peace. If you try to come in yourself, Lord, I tried, I'm good enough, right? We'll fall flat on our face. The last thing from this is the word of God is our foundation. The Westminster Catechism says the rule of life. What is the rule of life? It's the word of God. It's our rule of life. How do we know how to live? How do we measure our lives? How do we know what to do and how to act? And everything comes from the word of God. Why? It's his character. It's him. The word become flesh. It's Christ. You know, you cannot know God except through this word. You cannot. You can know a bit about him. Because you can see him in nature. You can see him in nice things he does. You can see great, a thunder cloud come in. You're like, wow, Lord, you're powerful. But you can't know him without the word. This is why Jesus said, go make disciples. Teach them everything that I have taught you. Because unless we teach people, they're not going to know God. And we sitting here who know God are the fruit of somebody who had this impressed in their heart and life and then gave it to you. If you can say one thing to, other, to people on that plane crash, follow Jesus. He's it. Stand on his word. This, this is what we have. We have him. Stand on him. Know him. Come to him. It's harder than Netflix. But come to him. If there's one thing for our kids that we can cry out, if they would just open their heart to this word, it's powerful. It's effective. It will change them. The gospel coming through, it's going to make them different. The word of God is the means by which we go and do God's work. Why can I say that? Because the, Paul said it this way in Romans, or in Ephesians. He said, 
Put on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you're going to go on the offensive and do anything, if you're going to cut down the vines to make a path through anywhere, you better have a sword with you. If you're going to do any combat for God, and I'm talking in a spiritual way, not in a physical way, you do it through the sword of the Spirit, through the Word of God. Those are the things that we need to come to. I want to encourage you today. God is alive. God is active. He is ruling. He is reigning. He has one gospel. He has one word. He has a people that he has formed to himself. He's using you. Let the word of God soak in your life to build you up. Can I have the worship team come up? We're going to sing just a song or two and then we'll close. We got a great king. His name is Jesus. Let's stand together. We're going to worship him. If there's something that's burning in your heart and you know inside you, I got to do something about this. Something's burning in you. Give me a call. Let's get a coffee this week. We can talk today, but let's get a coffee. Let's talk through that. What is God calling you to? How can we move in the word? The Bible and the church is not just about having a great Sunday and checking, checking a box and then moving on. It's every day in the word, in life with God, seeing him and moving forward with him. Amen? Let's do that together. If you don't know Jesus today, if you're watching online or whatever, and you've never submitted to him and said, Lord, I'll trust you more than I trust me, just bow your knee to him today. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Make me yours in every way that I might know you. I want to have life with you. I want to know the urgency of walking forward with you. Amen? Amen. Let's worship together.
love you, God. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Lord, I praise you. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Lord, we worship you. Oh, Lord, we love you. Our Father everlasting, He all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection. That we will rise again. For I believe in the name. And our defense. 
Let me, let me pray for us and we'll close out. Father, thank you that you are with us. Lord, thank you that you're a great king. Thank you for your word, God. Lord, let it dwell richly and deeply within us, that we might bring you glory through everything that we do. Father, thank you, God. Thank you that you have called us to be yours. Lord, I pray now for everyone here, everyone listening, everyone at the wedding, Lord, because you are bigger than even the Internet. Father, I pray, Lord, let us serve you well. Let us honor you, God. Use us in our day, Father. Lord, we don't want suffering. Lord, but we come to you that whatever you call us to, wherever you might lead us, we will go according to your word because, Lord, we know that you are with us. Thank you that you stand by us, that we might have life in you. It's only because of you that we live. And so, Father, now for everyone here, I pray that they would know the call of the Father, that they would know the rule of the Son, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Go be blessed. Have a wonderful day. Happy Fourth of July. Hope it's a great celebration. If you throw fireworks at a trampoline, they bounce high. If you mistime it, it will burn the trampoline, and your dad will be upset. This is what I've learned about Independence Day. <laughs> God bless you all. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Muffins in the morning. We'll see Troy. Friday Bible study if you're available, 10 a.m. God bless you all. Have a great day. See you soon.